0: Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Mike, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. I'm very good. I'm looking forward to the chat. Uh, So thanks for coming on. Um, That's
1: That's a big thing.
0: Kira's good. Kira's good. She um she's actually killing the pregnancy. She's doing really well. She was a little bit she was a little bit nauseous through the first what do they call it? trimester um yeah. but she's really good. She's really good. We were just shopping for baby stuff the other day, so that was the first time it felt properly real to me because we were just pushing prams around in a shop and stuff and um that it finally clicked. I was like, I'm actually going to be doing this in a few months.
1: Good for you. That, that's, that's exciting.
0: Uh, you have kids, yeah?
1: I do. I have two. I have a 23-year-old and an 18-year-old. 24. 24, my wife, just she <laughs> out So I thought <laughs> would be nice to listen to this. But I don't know how old anymore. She doesn't live here anymore. So it's harder to keep track. But um, Okay. 24 I was, uh... and 18, So I might... One is pretty much out of school working, just finishing her master's, and the other one is a freshman, so just getting done with his first semester.
0: Okay. Are either of them following in your footsteps?
1: Um, My daughter is a coach, so she's coaching ice hockey, so semi. My son might follow in my footsteps. He's a little bit at 18. He's playing lacrosse in college, and that is his focus, I think. He's going to try to figure out what he's going to do with his life after he realizes that lacrosse is going to end so Mm -hmm. he may he may Mm -hmm. fall into the family business we'll see Mm -hmm. um
0: will you give a little bit of an intro i'm sure most people know who you are but you can go as long as short as you want some people probably yeah some people might not we get a bit of a mix of people so give us a bit of an intro or a background please
1: so i am 64 years old i have been doing this for about 42 years uh, I've been, I've worked at the collegiate level. I worked at Boston university for 30 years as I started the strength and conditioning program there 30 years ago, or no, but oh God, 40 years ago. And went from, you know, sort of a volunteer in a 600 square foot weight room to a bigger weight room, a bigger weight room, finally an assistant, that whole process. I spent uh, about nine seasons working for the Boston Bruins in the nineties when uh, teams were using, part-time people. And I was kind of working at Boston University and working for the Bruins and bouncing back and forth. I opened my own place in 1997, Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. And 2012, I went and worked for the Red Sox for a couple of years in Major League Baseball. So I was able to get a World Series ring out of that, which was pretty cool. That's a, a great experience. Awesome, yeah. And at the same time, I've been sort of in the information business. I've always written. And so I started writing books in, I guess, early 2000s, 2004. I think I wrote Functional Training for Sports. And I've since written four books and done a whole bunch of information products. I started getting into the idea of recording and selling seminars and doing things like that. So I've kind of run the gamut here from just regular old strength coach to, I guess, a little bit entrepreneurial as I moved along as I got older. Was that a,
0: was that a natural, I won't say transition because obviously you're still a coach as well, but was that a natural evolution for you to think about? Like, Was the entre- entrepreneurial mindset, did that come naturally?
1: I don't think so, no. It was very much born out of, I think I had really good work ethic So I was always working, my wife and I worked in the, in the bar and the restaurant business because I was part-time the first, that's why I kind of joke. People are always worried about kind of, you know, they're 24 and they haven't made it yet. I was 30 and I didn't have a full-time job. I didn't have health insurance. I didn't, I was a bartender on the, on the weekends. And that was literally where the majority of my income was coming from until I was 30 years old. So, um, I just was kind of stumbling along working and not really thinking about it much. And then I started thinking I can train some pro athletes in the summer and make some extra money. And it would be a cool thing to do. I, some of my, my first college guys were starting to play professionally and I started to think, Hey, I can do this. And it was a literal one thing led to another in terms of training professional athletes led to training kids. My sort of like, not even like my love of writing. I've always been, A person that enjoyed writing. So that led me almost accidentally to books. I've told this story on podcasts a bunch of times, but I had always written. I mean, I wrote for Powerlifting USA. If you can imagine, you're way too young, but Powerlifting USA, when I first used to get it, literally came and it was stapled together. It was like mimeographed and stapled. And I used to send them articles, even I think when I was in college on training powerlifters. And then I started writing Bigger, Faster, Stronger magazine. There wasn't a lot to write for. So I started just sending articles to these to training and conditioning it was another magazine that was around then. But the cool thing about doing that very accidentally was that that led a acquisitions editor name. And I think it was Ed Burke. I was trying to think about this guy's name to, uh, to send me a letter and ask me if I wanted to write a book on functional training. And I told him, no, I said, I don't even know what functional training is. So I definitely am not the guy to write a book on it. And his response was, well, we think what you're doing is functional training. And I said, so I can just write a book and you're going to publish it and call it functional training for sports. And he was like, yep, that's exactly what we would do. So I just took a bunch of stuff that I had been writing and kind of pieced it all together. And this is, I mean, you're doing this now. I mean, you're in the information world. So, you know, but I literally looked at the guy. I didn't look, I was on the phone and I said, okay, how many, how many words are in a book? (laughs) And he said, I don't know why he said 45,000. He said, but we look for about 45,000 words. I said, okay. And I hit word count on this document that I had on my uh, computer where I had kind of pulled all the stuff that I had written together into one big document. And it was 27,000 words. And I said, okay, I got to write like 18,000 more words. And I just started writing 500 words a day, starting adding sections. And then they sent me an outline. They had an, an editor who said, hey, you know, I think you should do this. And I think you should write this. And, and just kept kind of throwing it together. So all it was just literally my whole career has been one thing leading to another. No, mm-hmm. no, um, no super direction. I think similar to you in terms of I got frustrated with the rehab world. I thought I was a strength ignition coach, I was not, but I was an athletic trainer, so I did. I was educated initially in rehabilitation, but I got out of that fairly quickly, but I realized that athletic training and physical therapy weren't doing a very good job of helping my athletes, so that kind of sent me on another tangential journey looking into what people were doing in rehab.
0: Mm-hmm. You think it's getting better? Now, Dan versus now?
1: Um, I think it's going backwards again, truthfully. Uh, it's really interesting. I look, I've been very frustrated. My son tore his ACL two years ago and I was shocked to realize that people had gone back to open chain exercise and that they were back to doing Cybex testing and looking at quad hamstring ratios and things that sort of those of us, I guess, in the functional training world, we had completely rejected that stuff. And I think, I mean, we haven't done a, a, um, you know, a leg extension or a leg curl. I haven't even had those machines in 30 years. And suddenly I'm looking and thinking, wow, this stuff's making a comeback. So I I don't think everything that's going on. And then I don't think the pain science stuff is all that helpful sometimes because I think uh, that tends to draw people off on a tangent that probably, particularly in the athletic rehabilitation world, I don't think a lot of the pain science stuff makes a lot of sense. We, We don't have our people are acute, generally speaking, and they're not having sort of chronic pain, you know, with a psychological orientation. And I think a lot of people are kind of arguing that end of it. So I I think in general, it took leaps and bounds forward in the 90s and in the early 2000s. And I think this last five or six years has been a little regressive.
0: Yeah, I think there's... uh... I think there's been a lot of information probably come out over the last few years and I think it's been spreading faster with maybe social media and I think you're probably seeing or we're probably seeing a period of time where people are trying to like sound very smart and say that all this stuff is relevant and it is relevant but you're not seeing that many people who are actually putting it into practice in a in a great way. So I think the pain science stuff is phenomenal, the research that comes out in terms of understanding like the whole person. But then I think the I think the interpretation of it is what's the what the problem is from practitioners who like I put up on my story the other day, what's the worst thing? What's what's some obscene things that Uh, you've been told by a physio and the amount of people that were saying like, okay, they told me that pain was just in my head, but I had a stress fracture in my foot. They told me that I need to talk to a psychiatrist about my knee pain, but actually I had like nasty patellar tendinopathy or something like this. So it's driving people away from actually, okay, you do still have a body that needs to be trained and looked after and potentially diagnosed in some instances. But I don't think that's the I don't think that's the fault of the pain science itself. I think it's the interpretation from a lot of people mm. that are, are really struggling with it.
1: I, I would 100% agree with that. And that's what I mean, I guess, in terms of, uh, I, had a, I had a baseball player years ago, and, I mean, they hadn't seen a sports psychologist. They had him, I mean, they, they literally had destroyed this guy mentally. He's still playing at 42 years old, but at the time I first saw him, They had literally told him that his back problem was in his head. And then I looked at his back and I was like, oh, no, it's in your back. (laughs) And interesting, this is you'll appreciate this. So at that time, I took him through FMS, which, again, at that time was extremely progressive. Maybe you can we could argue the benefits or whatever of the FMS. But and his response when I was done, when I kind of showed him, I actually videoed his spine moving in the lunge he was literally laterally shifting i mean it looked like alien it looked like there was something in his body that was moving around that wasn't supposed to and he said wow you're the first person who's ever looked at me moving Mm -hmm. yet he had been sent to sports psychology and had been kind of dropped down two levels from major league baseball into double a baseball and so i just think and there's i mean there's a lot of stuff that goes on i started talking i mean i i've I'm trying to encourage people to exercise more responsibly and then people are accusing me, oh, you're a fear monger. You're making people afraid of exercise. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing that at all. But I do believe there are good exercises and bad exercises and better exercises and worse exercises. And I do know that experientially, some people don't do well or the majority of people don't do well. Like if you've followed me, I'm not a back squat fan. I don't think most people do well with heavy spinal loading. And in strength and conditioning, that is absolutely heretical. You, you you shouldn't say that. And people got, I mean, visibly angry with me, I mean, to the point that they posted YouTube videos about me. And, uh, you know, people said that, you know, Mike Boyle tells his people that they're not going to be able to take a shit. They can't get off the toilet. And I'm like, you know, I didn't say any of those things. I just said that I don't think heavy compressive spinal loading is good for the majority of the population. You know, I don't think... I don't think olympic lifting is good for the majority of the population all our athletes olympic lift but none of our adults Olymp- our adults don't our adults don't touch a barbell literally they do not use a straight bar and i didn't even think about that until someone asked me and i kind of went hmm, i think you're right i don't think we do one actual barbell exercise because mm-hmm. I think the bar is constraining. I like dumbbells better. I like the idea that I can sort of internally or externally rotate or ab or adduct. I can find my path much better mm-hmm. with a dumbbell than I can with a bar. But our athletes—I mean, my son and his friends—you know—they they deadlift, they hand clean, they bench press. So there's there's a lot of nuance that people don't uh, don't see.
0: Yeah, uh, look, the the nuance—it's it's always it's, it is hard to get that across online i think every i think every exercise is on the table every exercise could be used or any exercise could not be used but it just comes back to the your reasoning behind it as a coach so if you have solid reasoning that you you think for this population like here's here's my reasons for not using that but here's my reasons for potentially using with other populations like i think that's absolutely fine and i think the the there's two ends of the spectrum Uh, where people say like everything is fine for every single person, which I'm not so sure is the case. And then kind of there's a nothing is fine. Humans are fragile end of the spectrum, which I'm not sure anyone is really saying that, to be honest, especially if you work in strength and conditioning, you're actually training people, you're helping them get stronger. And usually it's somewhere in the middle, I think, is where the truth lies, which is let's look at the person in front of us and find what works best for them based on their goals, of course.
1: Yeah. And and I look a lot of times and I would, I am sort of, if we were doing, if it was that, you know, if this was a survey, I'd click somewhat agree because I, I do think there are bad exercises. I look and think, I don't like behind the head anything and I can't figure out a reason for doing it because I know that the body doesn't like abduction, external rotation. So if someone says, you know, bad exercise, I'm like, yeah, behind the neck, pull down a bad exercise. Behind the neck press, probably a bad exercise. I can't, like, I would have, I always look at the reverse and say, can I think of a population group that I think this would benefit? And when I don't, then I look and say, okay, not a good exercise. And again, yes, there, there could be, you know, some people are going to say, you know, the exception of Olympic lifters, you know, I'm like, okay, like there's always going to be one big subgroup that will be the exception to the rule, but you can't program for the 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 1% or the 2% when you're trying to talk to people about intelligent programming, you have to look at it and say, let's talk about the 98% of people who for whom that exercise might not be beneficial. And and that same thing people get now, you know, you, you speak in absolutes, you talk about it. I'm like, yeah, absolutely I do. I, I didn't even mean to say absolutely, I speak in absolutes, but <laughs> I, I stumbled into that one on my own. But uh, But I do think that there's, like everything, there's right and wrong, there's good and bad, there's ways that we should do things. But yes, there's nuance, but you go into the idea, uh, you know, people say things like, it's okay to break the rules once you know the rules. So I think once you've established the rules, you can look and think, okay, maybe in this situation, I'm going to get a little out of the box. I wrote an article one time called There's a Reason There's a Box. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the basic idea was that before you think out of the box, make sure you know the box. Mm-hmm. You want to be the master of the box, and then at some point you can be coming out of the box thinker.
0: Mm-hmm. I think people would just uh, the the arguments you're probably getting into a line. People have a different uh, a different box and a different set of rules, and you're um, you're probably never going to agree on that because you're looking at things from just two completely
1: different perspectives. Which I guess is fine. Yeah, no, and it is, and I think that's the thing you need to do with people, too, is we, Kevin Carr just did a podcast the other day, and he was talking about, we always talk about the idea of being able to filter, and, you know, you've got to be able to filter. You've got to look, like, we were actually talking about your stuff in the staff meeting the other day, and we were talking about the fact that some of these things, like hip shift with the rollers and things, they're not easy to teach. And I said, but you've got to remember, like, even for you, your population, the people that have sort of found you and gravitated to you online, are injured athletes. Yeah. Primarily, I would think that's at least yeah. it appears to be that. And injured athletes are athletes. And so they will tend to, they'll tend to learn complex motor skills better. I had one of my adult clients the other day, and I was trying to show him some of the hip shift stuff. And I'm doing it and I'm showing him and he's looking at me and he's just like, no, <laughs> I have no idea what you're trying to get me to do, and I'm like, I'm trying to get you to move your pelvis, and he's like, I don't think my pelvis moves like that, and I was kind of, mm-hmm. I was a little bit frustrated with myself, and that was what. So we went back into the staff meeting, and we were like, okay, we're all going to practice these exercises, and then we're going to talk about how to teach them. What What do you think works from a cueing perspective? So it's actually been it was a really good. Uh, you're going to end up being here. You were one meeting where you just talked. And then you were yesterday's meeting where we talked about you for about half the meeting. And then next Tuesday's meeting will be us on the floor doing things and and brainstorming ideas and saying, okay, how can we integrate? Because that's the biggest thing for us. How can we integrate what we learned into um, our system? I always go back to the ron ruska had a quote in the pri manual and i I might butcher the quote but it was something like how can you take this information and use it in your program that you're already doing that you already like and that's always what the challenge is for us is Mm -hmm. okay we're gonna we like david's stuff we think he's really interesting guy how do we then take some of those concepts without because without being like a program surfer, you know, there are some people who are program surfers in terms of, you know, today they're a David Gray guy, you know, and then next week they, who knows, they could be a PRI guy. And the week after that, they could be a BFR guy. And, yeah, and you know, I watch people do that in the field and think if you're doing that, you probably didn't have a very good program to begin with. If you can throw your stuff away on, you know, on day one and say, Oh, I just, I watched some David Gray videos and, and wow. And, you know, we're going all in on lower body basics, Um, then you weren't doing a good job before. You've got to look at that and say, okay, how does what we're learning about lower body basics integrate into what
0: we're like, what might we, what might we have been missing rather than like, okay, I need to just throw everything out and start again. And I've come to realization recently, Mike, with, with some of the workshops that I have done where I actually don't want people to come away from them thinking that's another tool in the toolbox. Like as in, okay, here's a set of exercises that I might use. I've come to the realization that I actually want to teach people, coaches and therapists around like, here's how I view movement. And here's a lot of nice things that I think you can teach people. And you can choose whatever exercises you want that ticks that box. So if that client like can't do that hip shift exercise, if you were with me in clinic, and I would probably struggle teaching that client, but I would have another 50 ways of maybe getting it done. You know what I mean? And I yeah. wouldn't be ramming it down their throat. But all I know, like, th- th- for me, it's not a tool in the toolbox. It's like the box is, I know that I'd like a client to be able to move their pelvis. And now I have loads of different ways that I can get them to do it. Uh, So I- I'm never... I'm never, you know, like it has to be done this way or you have to use these three exercises or you have to overhaul your program. It's like, no, here's some things. Your client has a pelvis. I'd like it to move, but you could do that probably in 50 ways, you know? So, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I want to just get away from the exercise being labeled as like, this is a person that does a few exercises and more like, okay, here's a person who's trying to teach about about movement.
1: Right, and... Prepare to be frustrated <laughs> really, because because the person taking the course is looking – that's what we found. They're looking for a system, and they want answers, and they want rules, and they want – they don't want to think, which yeah. is what makes it difficult yeah. when you've got some – like you're saying, oh, well, let's – it was even funny because that's where – like Jess was great. Jess went to your course, your New York course, and we're playing around yesterday because I bought – we don't have regular foam rollers because we only use – the roller rollers, which are grooved, mm-hmm. they don't work well for a lot of the stuff you were showing. So I had to, one. I had to go back and buy old school foam rollers that I threw away. So I'm literally buying stuff that I threw away, which frustrates <laughs> the hell out of me. But um, but Jess was like, "Yeah, I think the rollers are too like." She was like, "That was 2018, David." She was like, "David now would have a thinner roller or a smaller ball," and I was like, "Okay, but." <laughs> It's. uh, I mean, the good thing for you is that you've become a thought influencer, and that's really cool. You know, you've gotten to the point where people are looking. I mean, one, I I always uh, again, you're you're probably not an American movie buff, but there was an old uh, Sally Field who was an actress, won an Oscar one year, probably twenty years ago, and she got up on on stage after winning her Oscar, and she was like, "Oh my God, they like me. They really, really like me," and And there's a little bit of that moment of realizing, like, like, oh, shit, I'm on the map here. You know, people, like, they like my stuff. They're buying my product. They're listening to me. But with that comes the, I guess, the next thing of, like, oh, but also there are going to be people who are, yeah. Taking this so literally, like I talk to some people sometimes, and I think they ask me stuff about what we're doing. I think, ooh, you you've read it closer that I have to go back and reread what I wrote because I don't I don't I wasn't paying as much attention to what I said as you are, so now I'm confused. Yeah, I've I've there's a lot of that.
0: Yeah, I I even in a few years, let's say like when we had a smaller Instagram account or when I was on podcast before, I've I've become as we've got a little bit more popularity, I've become probably more careful with my words, which is good and bad. Um, Maybe sometimes less likely to actually state your proper opinion, although I've tried to stay true to that. But I've definitely become more responsible, and I've tried to sit on the fence a little bit more in some ways. Like, I, I have my principles, but I'm not completely married to them, and, and that would probably to and fro. But I don't want to lose myself there either, you know, because scrutiny will come, but... <sighs> Yeah, I don't want to lose myself just because some, some people will take it the
1: wrong way. Yeah, and you'll be, you will become a target. Like I look at people and think, you know, it was that way with Greg Cook. You know, all of a sudden people, you know, FMS doesn't work, FMS this. And I'm like, you guys don't understand. This was the first guy who tried to say to us, let's think about a way to look at movement. Now, is FMS perfect? No. But I always say to people, I have a picture that I put in my uh, – My presentations of a garden screen. So like if you were trying to separate your rocks from your dirt in your garden, and I'm like, that's the FMS, right? All we want to do is catch some rocks and let the dirt go through. It wasn't meant, you know, people say, well, it doesn't predict injury. I'm like, I don't think Gray Cook ever said it would predict injury. I think people started researching the FMS to see if it did in fact predict injury. But I don't think that Gray Cook ever said that we're going to be able to And then, like you said, pick your words. He might have said somewhere along the way, hey, people that score less than 16 are more likely to be injured. But then other people sort of held him at his word and said, yeah, he said that if you score under 16, you're going to get hurt. And it was like, no, that was just his observation of watching a lot of people do the screen. And it's really interesting because it's it's kind of, I guess it's part of riding the wave as eventually – Initially, no one has any idea who you are and doesn't care. And then they start to figure out who you are and they start to care. And then the critics start to come. Like that's, that's stage three. You know, you'll know you really made it when people are shitting on you online and saying that you don't know what you're talking about. That, that will be the time you can think, hey, I'm there now.
0: <laughs> I, think, I think I might be there in that case. <laughs> that's, well, then nah. yeah. it. that's
1: it. You've, <laughs> you've, you've officially made it.
0: Hey guys, David here. Just a quick FYI to let you know that Lower Body Basics Phase 2 has been re-released and it's available to buy. It hasn't been available all year, it's been completely off the market. So I polished it up, I rewrote it, I included a lot more hinge work and these kind of hinge sequences that I do with my clients where there's like a strict hinge followed by uh, kind of a few more dynamic hingey type of movements and all those combined will help you really open up and load up your glute max your glute med your glute min uh or i just like to think about it as like your posterior hip and your posterior lateral and then your lateral hip so lower body basics that's not the only thing obviously in there but it's just one part of it and we've gotten some really good feedback for that already so lower body basics i'll put the first our phase two i'll put the first uh link in the show notes for that program Within about three clicks, you'll own it and you'll have lifetime access and you'll have it forever. So go and get it today because it won't, it won't stay on the market forever. So check out LBB2. Um, yeah. Do you ever, do you ever, um, do you ever get okay with that? Like, is that, is that something you just grow to be like? Oh. Yeah, I'm
1: very much okay with it now. I actually kind of like it because what I've been able to live through now, I have, uh, I have these guys, I call them the, I used to think Mike Boyle was a pussy club because they're guys who've come around as they've gotten older. They're guys that, that made fun of me online or talked shit about me on podcasts or whatever. And then now have come out and said, oh, I understand where Mike was coming from now. Now that I'm 40 and my back hurts or now that I had a couple guys get hurt doing exercises that it's sort of like they've kind of retracted some of their statements. So I've gotten very comfortable with, Who I am and the fact like I never, I mean, I never thought any of this stuff would be, I mean, one, I mean, not particularly controversial, but that people would even really take notice. Mm -hmm. And then as I started to do some things, I started to realize, wow, people are taking notice and then people are reacting to it in because, again, it was the initial we were just starting, I mean, I made VHS tapes. So you, you know where I'm coming from, from an information sales standpoint in terms of, you know, we made VHS tapes. We went to CDs. We eventually went to downloadable products. So I've kind of ridden the whole information sales wave, you know, internet marketing wave, all this stuff. And, um, and initially I think it was, I, I don't know, I guess I didn't like it when I saw somebody's, youtube video when someone sent me a youtube video but i mean i got legitimate i have hate mail saved in my in my files in terms of people took the time to write me letters telling me what an asshole they thought i was <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's wild
0: that's wild it's often the uh, anonymous accounts as well that's the interesting one um yeah do you what do you think about personal branding mike so obviously you have a huge personal
1: brand do you do you have a business partner as well Or is it just you? I I did have a business partner. I now, my business partner retired. So he's a little bit older than me. So I'm 64. I think he was 68. And four of the guys that work with us bought him out. So now I have four business partners. Oh, cool. But I also have a bunch of other businesses with other business partners. One of the things I've done is I've gotten more entrepreneurial. I've realized that some of these joint venture ideas, can be pretty good because maybe somebody can do something better than me, but I can still have a potential interest. So, you know, I've become one of those guys who'd much rather have a one slice of eight pizzas than his own pizza.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's kind of, so we've got a lot of things like our certification program, certified functional strength coach, Kevin Carr and Brendan Rierick are partners in that my old partner, my old business partner, Bob is still a partner in that. Uh, so we've got, you know, our online business which is really small we do a little bit of like online training through train heroic two of the other younger guys nico and steve that work with us are partners in that so i've kind of looked at everything and said hey i'm going to give everybody a piece of the action here yeah so the action continues because i don't want to do all these things i'm at the point where i don't want to do that much i like these i like to do a couple podcasts a week i like to go in the gym a couple hours a day and kind of putter around sometimes that most people Probably think I'm like the maintenance guy or something because I'm always in there <laughs> fixing stuff but uh
0: you, you find I it's a like better to, you find it's a better like recipe that. to um to instead of like instead of just hiring someone let's say to look after the online training is to actually just give them a, give them a piece of it you find that that works better
1: much better I think because people are incentivized no one wants to be an employee, but everybody wants to be an owner yeah. and I look at it and think if if we're dividing up profits then I'm happy to take whatever percentage we decide on. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's uh, it's much better. We've made some mistakes in that process. There's some things that I wish I could take back, things that I did sort of haphazardly and now I look and go, "Oh, I wish I, you know, I we should have had a situation where if you leave the company you have to sell your shares back. That should have been in every agreement that we made mm-hmm. and it wasn't." Mm-hmm. So we've got one entity now where somebody owns a percentage and does absolutely nothing to contribute to that. Mm-hmm. But we can't get their ownership stake away from them. We have no, there's no um, stipulations for buyouts. Yeah. So that, that kind of stuff, I think I could have been a better, I mean, I'm getting to be a really good businessman, but it's taken me 42 years. Yeah, <laughs> and there's, there's a lot to learn on that. The, the they're really and years. it's all kind of like you you're, you know you're learning it very experientially you're learning you know you're going to the the Irish business school of hard knocks where you where you make mistakes and you spend money and you do things and think okay that didn't work shit that just cost me x amount like you were talking about before we got online buying buying a a location versus renting a location and realizing that oh you know one thing i know now is i always should have bought when i had a chance to buy and but um, retrospectively, and when we started, we didn't have the money. We just didn't for us to buy, you know, a ten thousand square foot building in the greater Boston area, even when we started, we were looking at buildings that are were a million dollars. Yeah. And they were talking about putting three hundred thousand dollars down. We didn't have three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And and then, you know, whatever we would have to do from a build out perspective. So we were kind of held captive by landlords for a long time and we still are. Yeah. Which is a, a problem but where
0: where is the gym base now
1: we're about 20 minutes north of boston okay yeah is our primary and another one that's about 30 minutes kind of northeast
0: okay cool i lived in boston for seven months before i lived in brighton oh really yeah yeah i had the time of my life there so we were uh i was working for a, a irish alcohol company years ago Jesus, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And they bought a, comp- a cider company, a hard cider company in Amer- in um, in the States and they merged the two together. So that was called Woodchuck Cider. Do you know Woodchuck Cider?
1: Oh, I remember, yeah, my wife's upstairs. She's a cider drinker. So she's like, yeah, I remember Woodchuck.
0: Yeah, so Magner's Cider was the Irish cider and they bought Woodchuck Cider and they needed um, some Irish guys to go over to like get the Irish bars to start to sell the Woodchuck as well. So... I got sent to Boston for seven months and uh, well, I was given an apartment and a car. Kira came with me, a company credit card, but I was still like playing a lot of sport at a pretty high level in Ireland at the time. So, and it was right in the middle of the season. So I went over, but I was just like, I was drinking every day because I was in the bars. I was buying drinks for people on the company credit card. So, uh, and then I had to fly home for my quarterfinal, my semi final, and my final in our, in our championship. But each time I like, uh, there was a week or two weeks in between I was just getting a bit fatter like every every time because cider is not good for you there's a lot of sugar in it <coughs> so that was my yes it, but experience. that's
1: there's a great Irish community it, the Irish bar business I don't know why I I started out working in Irish bars in college so I've been I was I kind of been following the Irish bar scene since the literally the the 1980s like 1980 was probably the first year 81 that I worked and. uh and now there are so many and so many uh, Irish guys that have come over, people that have sent money over and have bought bars, and yeah. it's a massive, huge business in yeah. Boston. There's a huge community. there's a bunch they actually have a hurling league over here now in the summer, and a bunch of kids come over and play. We've had a few of them come to the gym and train, but it's really hard because they're, the bad part is they all work generally hard jobs yeah. so they work for plumbers or electricians or they do demo or whatever and then they go and they play on the weekends in these uh in this hurling league but boston has such a huge irish community that they're getting crowds for hurling mm-hmm. either hurling yeah. or gaelic football maybe both both yeah both
0: yeah and when we grow up like or when we're in ireland when i was a teenager like you would see irish athletes going over maybe playing maybe not going over for a few months to work or whatever and like they'd always try and go to Boyle's, joe de franco's uh probably a couple of a couple of other places like we we always thought our C was so shit in ireland and we looked at you guys and maybe it, was, it probably was much better at the time over there but it was just like it was just like, oh, you get the picture in, like, your place or Joe DeFranco's or whoever. So that's, uh, yeah, that's well, still you know, going it, on. It
1: was. I mean, it was so far behind. I spoke years ago. Do you know Robbie Bork? Have you ever met Robbie? Yeah, I know Robbie. Yep. Yeah, Robbie. I love Robbie. Robbie's interned for us twice. He's just a wonderful guy. He sounds exactly like a, are you? Are you Dublin or two? Yeah.
0: No, I'm Waterford. I'm t- about two hours you, south of Dublin. So. Oh,
1: okay. Because you have the, your accent and his sound really similar. So I was mm-hmm. assuming but he's, uh, he was great. You know, he, he came over and loved it and went back. And then I went over when they started, they started an Irish strength coaches Institute. I think it was called ISCI or something. And I went over and spoke at the first, uh, the first seminar that they did someplace out by the airport. I I can't even remember the guy's name. He since closed it down, but it just, because you don't have the collegiate system like we do, and you don't have youth sports like we do. Yeah. the sports performance thing is hard to do because you just don't have um
0: money that's
1: it or the interest really i don't think parents like here parents are thinking about their kids going to college to play sports they're very willing to invest significant okay. amounts of money in their kids to play sports which i don't think is necessarily the case in ireland like someone's not going to or well, it's I, our see it online, our, our, know, uh, our
0: our college and university education is just much cheaper. You don't need to like a scholarship over here is worth a, f- a few grand. It's not you know it's not right. going to change your life. Whereas over there, it could be the difference between you going to college and
1: not. Maybe. Oh yeah, I mean over here it's, I mean, you know the av- the average private school is moving up towards sixty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, which is crazy
0: yeah so yeah our our C, like our our youth athletic development is getting is getting much much better um just you you know what it's just everything over here gets more americanized as the years go by when you guys do something fashion music movies no matter what it is it ends up over here as well but sometimes it just takes longer so we're getting to a really good place it's just taking time
1: that's why i laugh because uh I just did a podcast with Fergus Conley and uh, and I said, over here, it's the opposite in terms of we want Australian and British and New Zealand sports science people. I said, you need, if you have an accent, you have an automatic leg up now in terms of trying to get a job in the US, like your accent. If you went over and said, "Oh, I want to I be the physio, they'd be like, oh, listen to him. Listen to his voice. My God, he's got to be brilliant. <laughs> it's really funny because it's it's become the total opposite in terms of at one point, everybody was like, oh, my God, they're so far ahead. But you guys have gone – like sports science degrees are much more common in uh, in England or Ireland or, you know, with Satanta in these places, whereas in the U.S., people are still in exercise science and they're not – we need to change the names of our degrees so that our guys become sports scientists like yours.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> the name is key. Um, and name is key. I was listening to a podcast earlier, A business podcast, and in Facebook, they were talking about one of the guys was talking about uh back in the early days of Facebook, he was trying to hire like this really really good um a software engineer, and they were trying to hire him, and he said, no, I'm not being a I'm not being a an engineer or whatever, and uh, I'm going to go and do my PhD instead. That's not the title I want. And they said, okay, I'm just we're we're going to give you your own title. It's called data scientist. And that was now data scientist is like this huge job, uh, really prestigious job title all over the world for tech companies. And it's the same as what they were doing before.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I, I, I just, in the, the podcast that I did, uh, I had said that you need to now portray yourself as a sports scientist. If you want to advance in the U S if you portray yourself as a strength and conditioning coach, you'll get pigeonholed and you'll kind of bump up against the ceiling in terms of oh, he's just a strength coach. Hmm. But if you say I'm a sports scientist, I've told guys to change their title. I said, you want to change your title to director of sports science. If you're handling monitoring and you're handling nutrition and you're working in rehab, you want to be director of sports science because that's where the jobs are going to be. Not, they won't be strength and conditioning jobs. No one wants a strength and conditioning coach. They yeah. want a sports scientist. Even though, as you said, it could just be how you present yourself. Yeah, exactly.
0: Hey, guys, David here. Just a very short break from the show. Just wanted to remind you, DGR Interactive, our members-only platform, Uh, there's 800 coaches and therapists uh, learning with us every week in there. It's pretty much like our own little mini university where there's over 200 videos that breaks down everything about movement that you can imagine. Practicals, theories, case studies, uh, biomechanics, rehab, strength training, plyometrics. Absolutely everything, each by body part and all that stuff. So if you're interested in movement, you want to get better results with your clients and ultimately have a better career, then I strongly recommend you join us. So I'll put the link in the show notes for DGR Interactive. Okay, few questions. Um, We already touched on this a little bit, but if you were starting again now, would you start with your own personal brand again or would you call it something else? Would you call it your name again?
1: I would call it my name again. I think... In retrospect, I, I always say to people, if you think about uh, great brands, so whether Dior, Ralph Lauren, whatever it is, Toyota, they were all probably somebody's name at one point, but they became associated with quality. So I think you can use your own name. The problem is people say, well, you can't sell it. I think you have your, your exit at the end is not probably as good. But I think the ride will be better as you go. So I think some people might say, well, all I'm worried about, again, if we were in the current, like you listen, reading business books and you're thinking about people, hey, I just want to develop a company and sell it. Like for you to now sell David Gray rehab, going to be tough because they're like, well, I need David Gray. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, if you'd called it whatever, you know, cool Irish rehab concepts, maybe you could sell that to any other cool Irish guy that you wanted to sell it to. But the one thing... I read a book. There's a book called, I think called the 21 Immutable Laws of Branding, I believe. The guy, I think the guy's name is Al Reese. And when I read that book, because the first time I was with Mark Verstegen from Exos and he was talking about branding and he was, he had thought about things that I had never thought about. He thought about like, you know, the type of business card that you should have and the color scheme and things that never entered my mind. And I thought, I don't really know what branding even is. I need to read a book about branding. So I bought this book, but the one part that stuck out to me was brands are created by publicity, not by advertising. And so for me, all of the attention that I had gotten was based around the name, Mike Boyle. So for me to call my company something else, which we did initially, we initially were a franchise and it was called sports acceleration North. We were a, uh, for peer which again you might not remember but we were for peer acceleration franchise and people would always say stuff to me like i tried to find you and this was phone book days i tried to find you in the yellow pages i tried to find you in the phone book you know i looked up mike boyle i looked up boils i looked up Boyle's gym and i'm like yeah it's called sports acceleration north and you would never find us if you didn't just walk in here Mm -hmm. and that was when we changed the name so i think if I had to do it over again, I probably would do it exactly the way that I did it. But I would also know that it would make the exit more difficult.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but you could, can and have leveraged your personal brand to create other businesses that then are not called Mike Boyle after this. So yes,
1: I did realize that later on down the line that, Hey, we don't want Mike Boyle's certification and we don't want Mike Boyle's website and we don't, but at the same time, they were built
0: off the back of you already having your brand.
1: Yes. And Mm -hmm. as I said, I think it's like for somebody like you, like I said, let's just say you'd called it cool Irish rehab. And people said, people kept going in on Instagram typing in David gray. And you've got to hope that somehow you can get your name associated with cool Irish rehab. So when they type in David gray, that comes up, you know, and whereas now that you just type in David gray and boom, David gray rehab pops up. Mm -hmm. So I think, I just think at some point you're kind of like, Hey, I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul here. But if I want to get this thing off the ground and get it going, then you got to go with what you have, Yeah. which at that time, like whether it's a guy like you or a guy like me, it's your name. And you, you kind of run with it and realize that if, I always said, like, if you're building a company with the idea of selling it, you're probably building it for the wrong reasons. And I think that's what most people do now in business, but that's not the way I would view business. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think when I think of, like, Mike Boyle strength and conditioning, I do think of you, but I don't don't only think of you. I think that's the important part. Um, Whereas I think at the moment, if people think of David Gray Rehab, They probably mostly think of just me as a person, which is probably what I need to change. Obviously, we have Alice working for us. We have other things that you can do. But I I think they still probably think mostly of me, which is the next step that we need to try and make, which is people think of your place as an entity rather than just you.
1: Right. And that was the, that's what my goal was. That's what I was trying to do. I was hoping that eventually I used to always joke. I'd say to people, Hey, if you go to buy a Sony TV, you don't expect Mr. Sony to sell it to you. Do you? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you just think that Sony's going to be a good brand and I'm hoping, and I think for us now it's a good brand. No one expects me to coach him. Some people, I had a kid, you'll laugh, but we had like what young kid last summer, uh, somebody said something about Mike Boyle and he was like, what do you mean? And they were like, "Oh, that's Mike Boyle over there." They goes, "No, it's not Mike Boyle. He's dead." <laughs> <laughs> literally said. And Steve, that was coaching the group, was like, "He's not dead. That's him." He's like, "No, this place is named after him. He's dead." <laughs> I had a kid one day. I literally had to show him my driver's license. I had to go get my license out of my out of the office and bring it out and be like, "Um, because they look at me, I look like a bomb ninety percent of the time." So it's like, it's like, so Mike Boyle's like the homeless-looking old man over there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Next question. Uh, any tips for hiring? How do you think about hiring?
1: Oh, it's funny. I'm doing a, a talk tomorrow for uh, Mark Fisher's group on hiring trainer, training, trainers. So I have lots of tips for hiring. The biggest thing, hire really good quality people. Uh, I think I always say, I can make you smarter, I can't make you nicer. And I made the mistake early on of hiring flawed people and then trying to make them better. And that failed miserably, truthfully. And now we always start with the idea, give me a really good person and I can hopefully backfill the knowledge base that I need into that person. But if you give me a shitty person, you know, if you give me a drunk or a womanizer, or, you know, I always say a drunk or a womanizer is always going to be a drunk or a womanizer. You know, people that have bad habits yeah. aren't probably going to shed their bad habits because they come to work for you. And are. Hockey coach at Boston University, a guy named Jack Parker, who is a a legend in ice hockey in the Boston area, used to always say people will revert back and they'll do it at the worst possible time. And I used to think about that and we've had it happen in terms of, okay, that person that's going to screw you over, the time that's going to happen is when there's a 6 a.m. appointment and somebody's waiting for them and suddenly they realize or they're going to you know, hit on somebody's wife at the wrong party or they, you know what I mean? like, so good people is the key.
0: Okay. If you were, let's, let's say there was no obvious red flags there. Like, what are you looking at to think, okay, this person fits the bill here. So you don't uh, know, you haven't seen them at the Christmas party. Yeah. You, you don't know that they're a drunk or a womanizer. Like what, is there some key attributes that you,
1: Course Inter- interpersonal skill, their ability to relate to people. That's going to be number one for me in terms of how do they do... We, I love people. I always say I love people that love people. And so it, particularly like I'm more on the fitness side, you're on the rehab side, but on the fitness side, I always say I don't want people that like to work out. When someone says to me, oh, I, oh I'm a bodybuilder, or I'm a powerlifter, I'm a Olympic lift lifter, I love to exercise. I think, great. Doesn't necessarily make you interesting to me. Mm-hmm. If you said... I'm really into helping people. What I really wanna do with my career is help people get better. I think "Ah, that's really super interesting to me. So I'm generally, I've almost looked at sort of fitness or strength and conditioning hobbies are a little bit of a red flag for me. If somebody's resume says, oh, I'm a competitive powerlifter," or I compete in bodybuilding or I compete in Olympic lifting or my hobby is weightlifting, I kind of shove those resumes to the side a little bit. I think, ooh, I don't know if I'm that interested in that person. I'm much more interested in somebody who's a, a real people person.
0: Hmm. I think you just, you just don't want them to be so self-obsessed with their own goals that they're not interested exactly. in other people's.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I have yeah, the slide of my presentation tomorrow. It says, uh, okay, we've talked about you enough. Can we talk about me some more? You know, and it's yeah. a guy in a shirt that's like seven sizes too small, and
0: <laughs> yeah, not, maybe not ideal. Uh, I think I think good energy, good energy is is important. Uh, energy and integrity and intelligence is important, but you don't have to be a genius. I think you just have to be smart enough that you right. get it, and I, you have I, an I, ability I, to learn.
1: I think school intelligence is much less important. Again, I have a slide to the presentation, maybe grades don't matter. I had one of the best coaches that I ever had was a girl whose advisor said to me, don't take her. She was going to do an internship and the advisor was like, don't take her. She didn't like school. She didn't take it serious. And at that time, we just needed interns, so it didn't really matter. And I thought, uh, yeah. what's the worst? Worst case scenario is that after 10 weeks, she goes home. 10 weeks later, we hired her. She stayed for 10 years. And if she walked in tomorrow and said, hey, I need a job, I'd fire somebody else to put her back to work. <laughs> but, but she might have had the low, maybe, and I don't know, she might have had the lowest GPA of anybody we ever hired. Mm-hmm. But I, the other thing, I don't know the GPA of one person we ever did hire. I've never asked anybody what their grades were or what their GPA was. Again, somebody, if maybe if it's a doctor, I, maybe I want a guy who got, you know, with some kablaude, but yeah. in a lot of other situations, I'm not so sure. Yeah
0: yeah uh okay last three so we have biggest life lesson business lesson coaching lesson over your over your career what do you think uh you can Um, choose whichever one first
1: so i'll say biggest life lesson and i've said this a lot recently was don't become so obsessed with your work that you ruin your life and i got very close to that at one point where luckily my wife told me that we needed to go to counseling or we weren't going to be married anymore. And I realized that I did still want to be married. So I decided to go to counseling. I always tell the same story. I honestly believed that the counselor was going to tell my wife that she was crazy and how great I was and how hard of worker I was and how could she not be incredibly happy to be married to me. And, uh, we got there and that was not the case. And she <laughs> kind of looked at me and thought she literally, I remember that like, and this was a long time ago, it was before we had kids. It was so. It was, might have been 30 years ago, the woman looked at me and said, so you think you're normal? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. And she was like, just kind of nodding her head. And I, so that was the biggest life lesson is that just don't, don't, don't ruin your life for your work. It's amazing how many people ruin their marriage, have terrible relationships with their kids, and, and say things like, oh, I'm doing it all for you. Mm -hmm. and the reality is you're not like if you're not present you're not doing it for them you're doing it for you and you're telling you're trying to tell yourself that's the story that you tell yourself i'm doing it you know i want to give them a better life yeah meanwhile you're not there with what better what it's going to get better at some point Mm -hmm. because because you know you're an absentee dad basically your
0: mistake was you should have went to a male counselor he would have sided with you (laughs)
1: I, say that to, I joke about that all the time. I say that in terms of I thought it would take one session and we'd be done. And then we got in there and I saw it was a woman. And I was like, oh, God, it might be two sessions before she realizes. <laughs> and it was about six months. Honestly, it was like six months of once a week before uh, yeah. before she kind of released us to go back on our own. And um, so,
0: what did you uh, what did you change off the back of that?
1: Well, I, I quit one job I had. I was just work. What did you say? Oh, she said communication. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I mean, we just—I came from my father. Very, I came from a really old school. Again, you'd be not surprised. My father, Irish. Um, you know, his father was a prison guard. He was a—he was a teacher, coach. But as he said, he would have been a Boston cop if he didn't want to play football in college. That so he was kind of a just a—I would say a typical working class Irishman in terms of. He used to joke that the lazy people had one job and uh so you know he always he coached after school he umpired he always was doing something he drove a truck in the summer and i thought that was what good dads did or good husbands did and you realize that that maybe maybe in 1950 that was good but in 1990 whatever that probably wasn't good <laughs>
0: mhm mhm so workless yeah, you're gonna go you got you got it
1: coming, bud. You're gonna be uh Yeah. I know. will change.
0: Kira's on to me about going to counseling, couples counseling. I I I actually looked, she manages our calendar, and I looked and I looked at next week and I saw I think next Wednesday, I just saw yeah. in there couples honestly, counseling. So,
1: so <laughs> it will be, honestly, it will be the best thing that you have ever done. Because it's it particularly what because you're wired similar to how I am and it's it's hard to realize, wow, I may not be right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm one of those people I yeah, I think I'm right about everything. I don't I I have I have strong opinions. And sometimes to have that that mediator who looks at you and thinks, you know, Are you, you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> it would be honestly, we'll talk about this at some point down the road and you'll say, Yep, that was a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Because, again, a, I would say um, now that you're you're having that child, the the question when are you coming home changes really drastically when there's a child in the house. Because yeah. when are you coming home is a question of like when, like exactly when, yeah. because I'm going to hand you this kid and I'm going to walk out the door <laughs> cause, yeah. and go somewhere and do something because I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know, it used to just be sort of a quizzical like, and I'd look and say, I'd leave at six in the morning, come back at 11 at night. And that was routine. I, I There were a lot of days that I did that. And I remember being in counseling sessions and my wife saying, I don't see him awake sometimes for days at a time. And me thinking, yeah, that's because I'm working hard. It's because I'm doing great in my career. Yeah. And realizing that that's still not a valid reason to be a shitty husband or a shitty father.
0: Mm. Well, I've said for so I, I heard a business coach several years ago talk, uh he, he said the be he, he was he was selling his course or whatever, but the way he sold it was to a lot of people was I get to drop my kids to school every day and pick them up from school, every day that I want to. And yeah. I thought that was really cool and I said like I'd love to be able to do that someday, not not sit in an office from whatever or sit in a gym all day long and just work when I need to and hopefully spend time with my kids but now that it's coming I still want that but I'm actually going to have to make that happen rather than just say that I want that I'm actually going to have to do that you right. know which is know. a different thing that's,
1: that's what happened with me I said I I want to be around I want to be able to, to take them to practice I want to be able to see their games I don't want to be that guy who uh is always making an excuse about why he can't get there
0: yeah yeah um okay That i'm actually i actually want to leave it there because that's more important than that we already spoke about the coaching stuff and the business stuff so the, i want to leave it with the life stuff that was better um mike thank you very much where should people go to find you if they want to
1: so strengthcoach.com is kind of like my website question and answer so if somebody said hey i want to i want to get this guy online and i want him to be able to answer all my questions for 15 14.95 a month they can do that uh They can look, I have my books on Amazon. I just finished my fourth book, which is a rewrite of my second one really called Designing Strength Training Programs and Facilities. So that's actually also on Amazon. New Functional Training for Sports, which again was another rewrite from 2016 is also on Amazon. Uh, Our certification is called Certified Functional Strength Coach. And I think that it is certifiedfsc.com. I have no idea why, but that's what it is. So if people are interested in certification courses, they can go there. Uh bodybyboyle.com is our business website. If there happens to be Irish people who live in Boston who want to come to our gym, but generally that's uh the most of the listeners of these podcasts don't actually become clients in that way. Mm-hmm. So lots of ways to find us.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll put the links in the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out. And uh thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And
1: no, oh, yeah, thank you, you for having me. And keep up honestly, keep up the good work. I love what you're doing. I really enjoy it. It's been great for our staff. It's it's great sort of uh thought provocation for our staff because it's very in line with what we do, yet it's not completely in line with what we do. So I like I always I always like to bring in like-minded people that will make our staff think, but also won't make them go crazy and run off off in some silly direction so uh, i've been like i said i i'm a fan so keep it up
0: thank you man i just like having conversations we don't have to agree on everything we just have to be willing to talk about stuff so so yeah really appreciate it uh really appreciate your openness and inviting me to chat to the staff and like to be in the business that long and still be curious and still be saying, right, let's talk to whoever. I, I, I really appreciate that. And I wish more people would not with me, but just in general would be just stay more curious for longer. So thank you very much.
1: All right.